Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. Let's just say you are on trial. You're on trial. And they were mounting evidence against you in a case. And the case was to see if you are, in fact, really a Christian. Like, like they were looking into your life. They were looking into your search engines. They were looking into your bank account. They were looking into, like, your sexuality and, like, how you behave when no one, no one is there. They were looking at, like, how, you, how do you speak to people who are like lower on the totem pole of life than you. Like how do you, like, and they were looking into just like every area of your life. Would there be evidence? This is a, this is a profound uh, question. It's a really disturbing question as well. But if you're not disturbed about something, you won't change it. And so many of us are not disturbed enough to change. And so today I want to just really kind of lay out the beginning of maybe what is a one or a two part series on evidence because something is not real until it's tested. So we don't we don't really know if something is real until it's been tested. And um, I'll give you for, for for example, before a Rolex watch leaves the factory, it, it has a profound amount of testing that it undergoes because it bears a name that has value. And what's interesting about this is that in life, many of the things that you buy are depreciating. But there's something about their name and the quality of what they produce that often appreciates. So let me explain something to you. When something goes on sale, it means that it was overvalued. When something appreciates, it was undervalued. And so the name of of something should matter. Proverbs says that a good name is better than silver and gold. And so the most valuable thing that you have is your integrity, your testimony, your name. Like when people say your name, what do they think about? Like, like this is something. And, and for those of you who have children, what do your children think about when they, when they see you and hear your name? These are, this is another level of if, if you want to really, you know, really check yourself, like you have to ask, what do my children experience about me as a man, as a husband, as a father? What do they, which is really, I mean, <laughs> so anyway, we are going to engage in Acts chapter 9 today. But I, I want to, before we do that, in Isaiah 65, let me, let me read this to you because this is such a, a fulfillment of a, Kind of like a prophecy. Prophets and, and prophetic people are always casting vision for what could be. Prophecy is not always what shall be. Many times it's what could be if you step into it. It's not God's fault if you don't step into it. That's another misconception about the prophetic. This is Isaiah 65.1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Part of the reality of God is that God is omnipresent. If he wasn't omnipresent, he wouldn't be God. So this is a prophetic scripture that it's revealing that God was found by people who were not searching for him, which is a manifestation of him being omnipresent. So that's, that's just, you know, this is very basic. And um, so you're going to see that this is about to happen, but 
before that, before this, this happens, in Acts chapter 7, there's a young man preaching. And this young man preaching, he's about 16 years old, roughly, and his name is Stephen. And Steve is preaching the gospel, but in the context of the scriptures being open to him, and he's preaching the history of Israel in the context of Jesus being the Messiah and the fulfillment of everything the scriptures saying. So they're not really excited about his interpretation of scripture, and so they kill him. Do you guys remember this? He's the first martyr. And so they kill him, and the garments of the people that, that you know, kill him, they, they threw it that on Saul, which is to say that Saul is responsible for his death. Are, are you guys with me? Yeah. Don't worry. We're, we're going to heat up. The car right now is just warming up here in the cold. It's like everyone. And, and so, you know, so now... Stephen is dying, and as he's dying, he says, forgive him. You guys remember this? Yeah. You want me to read it to you? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down with a loud voice and cried out, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. When you release forgiveness towards someone, it allows God to work repentance in that someone. What do I mean by that? Stephen forgave Saul... One chapter after this, in 9, you have 8, which is one chapter, and then the second chapter after that is 9, Saul is going to have an encounter with Jesus, and the forgiveness, listen to this, the forgiveness that Stephen released was the seed for that living encounter. It is so powerful. There's some people, I want to say something to you, don't get upset with me, but your whole life is held hostage and your whole future by unforgiveness. You, you cannot wait until someone says they're sorry. You, 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 will, you will die and they still won't be sorry. In fact, once you die, they'll think that they were better than they really were to you anyway. And then, you know... You know, people have a distorted view after death, too. You know, they, they, they glamorize things that are not real because the other person is not there to tell the story. That's a, that's a whole other story, which I'm not going to... We'll, we'll leave that alone. But this is very, very important because Stephen is doing the same thing that Jesus did. He's, he's releasing forgiveness to people who are not sorry. This is the spirit of Christianity. If, if you could embody Christianity in, in a moment, it's mercy. Like we, we're not getting what we deserve, but it's interesting. We want other, everyone else to get what they deserve. So you want mercy for you and justice for other people. Is that what you want? That's double-minded. See, so this is, this is very powerful. So Stephen forgives him. Then there is a persecution. Now this is Saul again, verse, uh, chapter um, 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time there was a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So all of the disciples and all of the people were scattered. The only people that remained were the apostles. And what's different about apostles is apostles stay when other people go, and apostles go when other people stay. Because apostles are not moved by situations and circumstances, they're moved by the mission of God. That's very important. This is, this is like very, this is like 101, simple. You see this in, in like, you know, you watch a, a war movie, I'll give you an example. You watch Navy SEALs and you understand how they operate 
these guys know each other so well that they know their shadow. They know their shadow. They see the shadow at night. They know who that is based on the shadow. These guys know each other. They're going into a room. Uh, a grenade goes into the room. One of the guys jumps on the grenade and dies right in that room. Right there. Because they are more committed to the mission than their own life. And to them, that's normal. Most other people would be like, they go like this. Why? Because they're committed to the mission. This is, this is, this, this is the same type of people how apostles are. You have to be more committed to the mission than your own comfort. So everyone else is afraid. These guys are not afraid. If they're, if they're afraid, they, they need a new job. So anyway, through this persecution, God uses the persecution to spread the gospel. It's the same thing that happens in your life when you're under pressure and you're going through a situation. God uses that situation in your life to produce growth and movement. It, it's like if you're going through a hard time and you don't seek the Lord wholeheartedly, when will you seek the Lord wholeheartedly? Like, what will it take for you to get on your face and say, I'm not leaving here until the Lord speaks to me and gives me a directive? Like, if, if you have a problem and you will not seek the Lord wholeheartedly in your problem, you definitely won't love the Lord wholeheartedly in your blessing. You, you just won't do it. So, so this is really, so th the pressure pushes the church out to do what the church was supposed to do anyway. Come on. Amen. Like, <laughs> anyway, so there's that. And then there's the Ethiopian who gets saved. He is the minister of finance of Ethiopia, and he's reading the Bible. He doesn't know what the heck he's reading. Have you ever read and you don't know what's going on? Like, that's all right. So this guy is the, the, the CFO of the nation of Ethiopia. Just so you know. People are like the gospel is the white man religion. No, actually, the, the, the Bible is brown, just so you know. Just, just to tell you that. Because people start talking that, that hood stuff is white man religion. It's not, it's not even historically accurate. They don't know what they're talking about. It's obvious. <laughs> but anyway, so, so, so now the gospel goes to Ethiopia before it goes to Rome. This is historical fact, by the way. Okay? So anyway, there's a supernatural encounter, and Philip is, is caught up, and the scriptures are open. This guy's baptized, and he begins to understand the scriptures. Let me just say one thing to you. To understand the scriptures is supernatural. You cannot study your way into understanding. If, you, if God does not open your eyes, you're blind. You cannot see. So we need a, a poor in spirit attitude in which we understand that we need God to open up our eyes so that we can see. Okay, are you with me? Yeah. Now, God is getting ready to save Saul. And th this is a, a very powerful situation. What, you're, what we're about to read, the only thing that is told more in the book of Acts than this encounter that is about to happen is the gospel itself. This story is retold more by Luke than even the day of Pentecost. <laughs> All the Pentecostals get upset with me on that. But, but it's like, <laughs> like, I'm just telling you, this is the Bible. This story was retold three times. The only, the only thing that was told more than this is the resurrection itself, like Jesus. So this story is told and retold in front of kings, which is the prophetic word from the start. But I want you to really, we have to really get hold of this because this is very important because God is getting ready to give Saul a vision of Jesus. And the vision is Jesus. The mission is people bringing Jesus to people, bringing people to Jesus and teaching them to obey him. So if this is going to happen and, and Saul is going to become Paul 
and Saul is going to take the gospel into all the world, he's going to need an encounter with the living God. And this is why. The, the type of opposition that you're going to face in the world is crazy. This is why I tell people, you don't need opposition in your home. Don't marry a project. You, you, want, you want continuity at home. You want home to be a place of peace, not a place of friction, because if you're going to be a real Christian, you're going to meet friction outside. So why am I going to marry friction? Why, why am I going to be friends with friction? Why am I going to entertain that when that is the thing that is going to befall me in the world? Why marry the world? Why, why, why not be with people who are about the same thing? This is very, very important when you marry, when you choose friendships, when you think about who are the people that you want in your future. You, you, you have to select people that are moving in the same direction because I'm not going to redirect my life for you. Sorry, I don't love nobody that much. <laughs> no, my life is going in a specific direction. And if you're not going in that direction, we're not going to flow. And I really don't care how anyone feels about that because they didn't die for my sins and they don't pay my bills. Just to let you know. Now, encountering and responding to Jesus is the foundation of your testimony. So we need an encounter with Jesus. Just, this is very simple. This is, by the way, very basic 101 Christianity. Now, Acts 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, if Paul did not see women as a threat, he would not have arrested women. So what happens is people take something Paul said that women should be silent in the church and they take it out of context. They don't understand what he was saying and who he was saying it to and why he was saying it. And they try to silence women so that they don't have a voice. Only insecure men do that. You, you look at the marriages and the families of men who don't think women could be in a place of leadership and don't think women should talk, and they're all insecure little boys. Sad. Paul would not have been bringing women to prison if women weren't part of taking the mission forward. It's like, this is very basic. You know, anyway, I really don't like, I hate religion. You know why I hate religion? Because religion always wants to oppress people. It oppresses women and children. You go into cultures that religion is dominant and women have no rights. They're like property and children are mistreated. Look at the Middle East. You, you, you open your eyes and look at what I'm saying and see it. I hate religion. It's because it's oppressive. Jesus is the greatest liberator of women and children and the lost and the forgotten and the least and the last. The greatest liberator. So anyway, who is Paul targeting? I, I, want, I want to show you this. Paul is targeting the disciples of the Lord. God said, go preach the gospel and make disciples, not believers. We have made believers. Do you know that Satan is a believer, not a disciple? The Bible says the demons believe and tremble. You know what they don't do? They don't obey. But they have to obey you. They have to be subject to you in Jesus' name. So that means you don't have to be afraid of what is subject to you. You don't. You don't have to be stupid, but you don't have to be afraid. 
So the, the, the attack is against the disciples because the disciples are the people that God gets the job done through. The people who are obedient, the people who are faithful, the people who respond to the Lord in obedience. Those are the target. Those are the people that the enemy wants to stop and to kill because they are the threat. The enemy never goes after something or someone that is not a threat. All right. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, which is the capital of Syria. And suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven, saying, uh, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is very important. How we treat the church reveals how we feel about Jesus. There are two things that reveal how I really feel about Jesus. Not how I sing to him. Not how I tell him, oh, Jesus, you're beautiful. No, no, no. How I treat you and how I treat the least. Jesus said what you've done to them, the stranger, the prisoner, the sick, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, how I treat them reveals if I can see him and how I feel about him. So how I treat you and how I treat them is really how I feel about him. This is this Bible. So Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God takes it personal when you touch his people. When, let me tell you something. The stupidest thing that you can do is bother a real Christian. Bad idea. People that do that, look at their life. Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, the King James Version says to kick against the pricks. Now, what this means is, this is like Jesus is saying, why are you taking your foot and kicking it against a spike? A metal spike. To hoodify this, your arms are too short to box with God. Why are you hurting yourself? Opposing me, you're going to hurt yourself. Do you really want to do that? You ever see someone who's a wise guy and they, they wise off to the wrong person and the guy that is about to whoop the guy says, listen, man, come on, let's just chill out. And then he gets dropped like a bad habit. The guy was trying to warn him. He didn't take the warning. Jesus is trying to warn him. Jesus is trying to say, listen, not a good idea, pal. You don't want to kick against the goat. You don't want to take your foot and put it against this spike because you're going to lose. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself trying to oppose me. And you know what? That's what a lot of Christians do. They do whatever they want to do. They think they're doing the right thing and they're opposing God and they're hurting themselves. And they think that it's God's obligation to bless their dysfunction. God never told you to do that. He does not have to pay for something or finish something he never started. God is only obligated to finish what God started. God is not obligated to finish what I started. And then people are mad at God. God never told you to do that. And God is not responsible to finish that. So this is beautiful because what do we see in Jesus? We see the compassion of God. God is showing up to this man who is persecuting people, who is the reason people are dying and going to prison, and he has compassion. God has compassion not only on the oppressed, but on the oppressor because he knows what will happen to the oppressor if the oppressor doesn't turn from his ways. That's what mature compassion is. Mature compassion is not like, oh, I feel bad for you. Poor you. You live in a garbage dump. That's easy. If you have a heartbeat, you can feel compassion for someone who eats in a garbage dump. Are you even human? 
You know, like, you know. But do you have compassion for the people who are the reason they're doing that? Because their end is going to be worse than that garbage dump if they don't change, if they don't repent. And we're old school. We believe a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Hell is still hot. It's still forever. <laughs> like, we, we're old school, you know. We're, like, hateful and stuff, you know. We, we believe the truth, you know. And we don't apologize about it. I don't feel bad, like, oh, did I offend you? Like, the Bible offends me, too. It, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's offensive. It calls you into account and to repent. And to change, the Bible doesn't comfort me in my sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't go, oh, there, there, Adam, it's okay, you'll be fine in your sin. No, God is calling out and screaming out, yo, don't kick your foot against the spike. You're going to hurt yourself. I take it personally. <laughs> then he said, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What a beautiful question. The first thing out of his mouth, after having an encounter with the living God, what do you want me to do? You, you know what I, I would just tell you? When you go home today, ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because can I tell you something? Can I be honest with you? Is that all right? Steph's like, yeah. That's all that matters. What I want to do, what you want to do, guess what? That doesn't matter. Sorry to tell you that. You know, like, what matters is, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? How can I fulfill his will if I don't even know what his will is? If I'm in my feelings all day long. I'm in my bitterness all day long. I'm in my lust all night long. I'm in my loneliness all night long. I'm in my frustration all day long. How can you do what he wants if you're focused on you? The most miserable people are focused on themselves. We live in the most self-focused generation of people. We are so demented, we need a camera on both sides of our phone. We are so broken, we need filters on everything because we hate ourselves. All of the self-help books in the world have only given us more self-hatred. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that God wants to save us not only from sin and from hell, but from ourselves. You know who God is saving Saul from? The vanity of his own misinformed mind because he thinks he's doing the right thing and he's zealous and he's passionate and he is completely sincere and completely wrong. You know that you can be 100% sincere, 100% real, and 100% wrong. Then the Lord said, Arise, go into a city, and you will be asked if you'd like to serve me when it's convenient for you. No, it doesn't say that. It says, and you will be told what you must do. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, Jesus is not asking. Let, let me just give you just, this is a free nugget, free. When Jesus speaks to you, he is not asking you. He is telling you. You have children? Not yet, you do some, you want more, whatever it is. I am not asking you, I am telling you, put your shoes on, we are leaving. I don't think you understand. I am not asking you, I am telling you, you're going to finish your food. God, many times, is not asking us, he is telling us. And guess what? We are not used to being told. 
We live in a culture that doesn't want to be told. If I offend you, guess what happens? You say goodbye, and you go down the street to somewhere else. And you sit there until they offend you. And then you know what? If you get really offended, you just turn on TV and you listen to Joel Osteen, and he's really nice. He's got a really big smile and a really big house, and he cannot offend you. If you're getting offended at him, you're going straight to hell. He is happy, and he wants to encourage you. But this is the culture that we live in. If we get offended, we leave. Instead of saying, I'm offended, and I'm going to stay, and I'm going to fight through this, and I'm going to learn to be a mature Christian and mature in my heart, and I'm going to overcome my own misunderstandings and my own brokenness and my own daddy issue and my own mommy issue and my own issue. I'm going to overcome that issue, and I'm going to become a woman of God, a man of God, a person of God, or um, I'm offended, I'm leaving. Okay. If you have that mentality, you'll be a loser your whole entire life. You'll be stuck. Because as soon as you're offended, you leave. That's crazy. Okay. We don't like to be told, and guess who likes to tell us? Jesus. And then the fourth person of the Trinity is your wife. (laughs) So anyway... So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, go into a city. I'll tell you what you must do. Seven. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. And he neither ate nor drank. Now, Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus. And the people that he was leading are now leading him by the hand. Okay, Mr. Type A, Mr. Get Her Done. Okay, Mr. I'm in charge, I'm in control, Mr. I'm going to get it done my way. Okay, the people that you were leading are now going to lead you by your hand. And your vision was to take everyone and throw everyone in prison. Now, you're not even going to be able to see. Let me say one thing to you. You have an encounter with Jesus. You have a raw encounter with humility and your humanity. People who, who don't have that, have not had an encounter with Jesus. You have an encounter with Jesus, the first thing that you will become is poor in spirit, not self-sufficient. Be, that, is, that is from the, 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 the very door of you're like, Ben, I, I, this guy can't even get where he's going without the help of other people now. How's that for humbling? Okay, now... Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Who is it? What is he? Who are the people that he was trying to attack? Ah, watch this. Stick with me. His name was Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, here I am. So the Lord said to him, arise, go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so he might receive his sight. Now, this this is really, this is something. Can I say something to you? There's three people in this story. Do you know their names? Ananias, Judas, and Saul. Here's the message. You can be replaced. You are not indispensable. You can get replaced. Ananias, the first Ananias, he left Peter's meeting, his revival meeting, in a body bag. Goodbye. He he sold his property and land and was fronting like he gave everything when he didn't. God hates fakeness. Hates it. That's when Jesus goes after anyone in the gospel, he does not go after the sinner, the prostitute, LGBTQP, whatever it is. He goes after the religious people that are faking the funk. Ananias. The second person, Judas. The end of shame is suicide. Saul. You know what King Saul did? 
he killed himself with his own sword. All three of these people replaced. You can get cut. If you don't participate with the, with the plan of God, just know one thing. You're replaceable. I'm replaceable. Every one of us. God's mission will go forward with or without you. The kingdom of God will advance with or without you. I always tell people, I'm going to lunch with or without you. I'm going to nations with or without you. I'm going to do the gym with or without you. Because once we set the course and once we put the direction in, we're going. We're going to have to die or else we're going. <laughs> you know. So anyway. Now, Ananias has a detailed word of knowledge in the place of prayer. Okay? He's on a, a street called Straight. One. The house of Judas. Two. His name is Saul. He comes from the city of Tarsus. Four. He's praying. Five. He's seen a man named Ananias coming. Six. That you might put his hands on him and receive his sight. Seven. He, he sees a seven. This is a juicy, <laughs> this is a big juicy word of knowledge. A seven distinct and clear details. Why? So Ananias goes in there with guns slinging and straight up confident. You cannot represent the Lord without humility and without confidence. You, you, you just, you cannot go without confidence. This is a very important truth to understand. But confidence is not married to our ability or our preparation or our economics or our skin color or how we look or how we feel or how others feel about us. It has to be rooted in Jesus and what he's saying. Are you guys with me? So he goes in and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from Many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel <laughs> to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I'm going to tell you, the only person that when God called them, he says, you're going to suffer, is Saul. And you know why? Saul was making other people suffer. We don't like sowing and reaping. We only like sowing and reaping when it benefits us. <laughs> it's like, but sowing and reaping, well, it works whether you work it or don't work it, like it or don't like it. The world calls it karma. It's not karma. That's, that's, a, that's, that's not a correct name. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Your language matters. When you call it karma, you invite darkness to, to, to work in your life. All right? 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received this sight. And at once he arose and was baptized. Just declaring the word broke blindness off of Saul. This is important. See, the deacon was praying things this morning, and the things that he was praying worked his way into this sermon. I don't know if you're listening to that. So this is, this is important because what's happening here is God is getting ready to apprehend a man who is a chosen vessel. And a chosen vessel is a vessel that bears the name of the potter. The way to understand this in our culture would be for those of you who have fine dishes. Mary, do you have fine dishes? China? You have China. Okay. So you have China. Thank you. I know you have it. Good. Beautiful. That's one thing mother-in-laws are for. 
So you have that away for a certain time. It's not for every time. It's not every meal, and it's not all the time. It's chosen for a specific time, for a specific place, with specific people, for a specific purpose. That's a chosen vessel. That, that is within our culture the best way that we can understand that. So it, it, it would be on the shelf, the potter's shelf. It would go through a great process, but it would bear his name. A chosen vessel would have his signature on it. See, the value is in the name. All right. A chosen vessel to bear my name. Paul, in, later on in his writings, he says, let nobody bother me, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> he had the leave me alone ministry. He said, for I bear in my body the marks, the Greek word is stigmata, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In other words, don't trouble me and don't bother me with games. I have paid a price for the gospel and I bear on my body the marks of my service to the king. So don't play games with me and don't mess with me and leave me alone unless you're serious and don't bother me with your religious stuff. Don't play any games with me because I'm serious. Have you ever met someone who's serious? Brett. Brett. They, they don't, serious people, they don't want to play games with people who are not serious. That's why I really love people, but I don't, you're not going to play no games with me. If you're not serious, I'm not. So anyway, there was a profound uh, a documentary about this. I'm going to tell you a short, brief bunny, bunny trail. There was, there's on Netflix, there's a documentary of these psycho guys from Ohio called West Side Barbell and they're all animals crazy guys and the the owner the the guy he just recently died his name is Louis Simmons he used to write strength programs for college and NFL and all these animal people he was so serious that he said if you will not move and and leave your job and leave your city and come to this gym I will not train you He's only engaging with people who are 100% in, or that's it, or you're out. You're either in 100% or you're out. You're not in. This is serious people. All right. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him. We got past that. Verse 19, forgive me. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with who? Disciples. So the people that he came to hurt were the people that God used to bring him healing and refreshment. How's that for redemption? 20. Immediately he preached Christ. That's the message, Christ. That he is the Son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed. Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Do you see that? That was his previous testimony. That was what he was once about. What I like about Paul is there's clarity. <laughs> it's like, you're not, you don't have to guess with Paul. Like, I wonder what Paul means. No, no, no. He's going to tell you what he means. It's like, like, if anyone who struggles to understand Paul, just read it all through. He'll tell you. He, he bounces around a little bit, like a little ADHD or whatever, but he comes back to what he's saying and then lets you have it. So anyway... So Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So there's two things that Jesus is right here. He is 
the Son of God, and he is the Messiah. So the divinity and the humanity, Israel's Savior, the Lord's, Israel's Messiah, the Lord's Savior, okay? The world's Savior, rather. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Your own people are always your worst enemy. We, we, this is historically true. This is true for white people. It's true for black people. It's true in statistics. We have a actual tendency to kill our own people. In other words, if I, get, if I go crazy and I go psycho, I'm not going to drive 60 blocks down, down to another neighborhood and go psycho. I'm going to go psycho outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't have, okay, I'll wait for you know, 30 minutes and then go psycho. You people who lose it and go crazy, we have a tendency to kill our own people. It's, just, it's a historical fact. So anyway, the Jews, these are his own people. And what I'm saying is not anti-Semitic. Because he's a Jew. <laughs> See how that works? So now his own folks want to kill him because he doesn't believe what they believe. In addition to not believing what they believe, he's able to prove from the Bible that what they believe is not true. Because Jesus is the fulfillment. So they had a part of the truth, but not the fullness of the truth. And when you don't have the fullness of the truth, you will always fight against the fullness of the truth. This is why the, the last move of God always wants to kill the next move of God, if you're not moving with God. All right? Okay. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then, watch this, then the disciples, who is it? The disciples, took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. In the beginning of this chapter, their life is in his hands. In the end, and we don't even finish the chapter. It's not even the end of the chapter. Is it the end of the chapter? Where am I? No, it's not even the end of the chapter. In the middle of the chapter, his life is now in their hands. See how God, see how he flipped that? Mr. Strong, independent, I did it my way. That'll lead you straight to hell. My way. Mr. Strong, type A, we're going to get this thing done. I'm going to do it my way. I'm the man. Oh, yeah? Your life is now going to be in the hands of other people. You're going to learn that you need other people. That's ministry 101. You need other people. And they weren't as smart as him. They weren't as educated as him. They didn't speak as many languages as him. But guess what? His life was in their hands. Just, just, just hold on to that for a second. They are holding on to his life. This is, this is a reversal of pride and independence and me and I can do it and I don't need anyone to do it and I know how to do it. Oh yeah? Saul, if you're going to become Paul... You're going to have to die. You're going to have to really die so that you can enter into who I'm going to make you. Because you're a chosen vessel. But the chosen vessel, it's got to go in the oven, bro. Sorry. It's got to go through fire, dude. You, you know how pottery, you know what they do with fire? They got to glaze that thing, and they glaze it before it goes in the oven. Oh, oh, oh you want to bear the name? Oh, you, you want to be an ambassador? You want to live in the favor of all that? You want to walk in the power of all that? Okay, great. We're going we're gonna to carve my name in you. 
I'm going to carve my name in you. And that's not enough. Then I'm going to put you in the fire. Because you're not even ready for the oven unless you go in the fire. See, <laughs> that's a whole other message. We're going to reverse out of that. So, th this is just, this is what it is. He encounters Jesus, and now this testimony of this encounter, he retells, which I'm not going to tell you that today, because it would be a disservice to our time together, because it would be too long. But this story gets told later in 24, right? Let me see. No. Excuse me. In 22, and then I think 26, yeah. It gets retold in 22. It starts, I'm going to give it to you in verse 6 of 22. And then it gets retold again in 26, and it starts in verse 12, which I'm, I'm, the following weeks I will get into this story. The story, as he tells it, it grows. He had to be Pentecostal. It's like there were 40 people in the meeting that got healed. There was like 20 people in the meeting. It's like, it's like, so, so he, but he's not, what he's not doing is, He's not lying about it. He's not hyping it. But there's a principle here that when you tell the testimony, you create space for God to move. You, the, the, your testimony, let me just say one thing about your testimony. I'm going to sit down for a second because I, I, this is more of like, I got to talk to you about this. Your testimony is what God sees about you to be true. So your, your testimony is not just what others experience about you, although it's partially that too, but your testimony is about what, what does God see about you? That, that is the most important thing. Like, what does God say about me or you? God. Not people that we can pretend, hey, I'm great, I'm amazing. No, 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 like, the, the, the eyes in which nothing is naked to his eye, who sees past the filters into reality, what does he say? What does he see? That's important. That's the testimony. Now, let me just run through these. Saul doesn't become Paul without encountering Jesus and obeying Jesus. Only truth can bring transformation. Disciples are who God gets the job done through. This is why, like, let's say we're doing life groups. Let's say we're doing mission trips. Let's say we're doing outreach. All of those things are vehicles that cultivate a willing obedience that bears fruit in your life. So it's not about just the action of doing. You're not just a human doer. You're a human being. And in doing, you become willing. And you, and, and you, you encounter the Lord through that. Okay, the people Saul came to destroy saved his life. Now, gathering and protecting evidence. This is, this is important because let's say you're going to go to court and, and you have evidence. You, you need to keep that evidence intact. So let's say it's on a USB drive. You have to hold on to that USB drive because on that USB drive, there's evidence. Now there's people that have USB drives with crypto on it. So that, that, that is not just a, you know, a $10 USB drive. It could be a $10 million USB drive based upon what is inside of it. Okay. The restoration of your soul keeps your testimony intact. So what, am I mean, what do I mean by that? I mean allowing God in to bring healing to you and to, to work repentance into you is important because if your soul is damaged, guess what's going to be damaged? Your testimony. You'll go from place to place to place and it'll always be the same problem and it's not the place, it's you. You're the problem. You're broken. You're not healed. You're not well. So you apply pressure and, and venom comes out because you're not healed. 
So here's the thing. The best way that you can protect your testimony is to get restoration of your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. When you sin and you live in iniquity or people sin against you, it steals from that. So God wants to bring restoration to that. Why? So that you can maintain what he gives you instead of destroying the treasure of you. Okay? Here's another one. Without self-control, you will destroy your testimony. Self-control is one of the things that preserves your testimony. Recently, the Lord gave me insight on something that I have never seen in my life before. And I was just like shocked. And maybe you're like, oh yeah, I know that already. Great. I didn't know that. You know, I, I have um, a high criteria in which I choose to trust people. So I love a lot of people, but I trust a very, very, very few amount of people. But I'm very loving and nice and I smile at you, but that doesn't mean I trust you. And the Lord said to me, you can only trust people as much as they have self-control. So I usually say, I will only trust you as much as your integrity will permit me to trust you. <laughs> but, but the integrity is our result of self-control. So based on the self-control, that tells you who you can trust. So if I live to please people, you can't trust me. Don't ever trust someone who lives to please people because they will betray you to please others. So you can only, you can only trust people that have control, self-control. Without self-control, you destroy your marriage. Without self-control, you'll ruin your finances. Without self-control, you know, you, you just self-destruct. The most valuable thing that you have is not a thing. It's your testimony. Jesus didn't die so that we could have a nice house and be happy. Jesus died so that you can have an unshakable testimony. And the house may be part of the testimony, but the, the house is not the testimony. It is, it is a result of the testimony. So this is important because what you value, you'll protect. When you value something, you protect it. Your testimony reveals that God is trustworthy. When, when, when I look at the faithfulness of God in, in someone's life, that's informing me of the resurrection. That's informing me of a God who not only died on the cross for me, but not only got up out of the grave, not only ascended to heaven, but now is living among his people and doing things through us and in us and for us that we do not have the capacity or potential to do ourselves. And, and faith plus obedience equals testimony. And when I see that being produced, I go, he is really trustworthy in real time, in real life. That's why the enemy hates the blessing of the Lord and he hates prosperity and he hates favor because those are indicators that God has done something for someone that they could not do or did not do for themselves. And it attracts antagonistic people who are insecure and jealous because they don't have what that person has. You ever notice that it's always little people that are the critics? Have you ever noticed that? Right? Y you don't see Jerry Savelle making videos criticizing people. Right? Y are you with me? Y you don't see Kenneth Copeland like, oh, these people are so terrible. He's not thinking about you. The guy on the internet in his mom's basement making videos about him, that guy, he's not thinking about that guy. He doesn't know that guy. Nobody cares about that guy except Jesus. Because nobody knows him. He's, you know, maybe if they knew him, they'd care about him. 
but that insecurity and that jealousy and that that drives because it drives people crazy it drives people's demons crazy when God does something for someone that they couldn't do for themselves and other people feel as if they don't deserve it it drives people absolutely crazy but you know why because here's why it's not about things or stuff it is about the testimony and that is the manifestation of the testimony and that is what the enemy is after when you look at the church in Revelation I'm going to end this in a, in, a, in a moment or two when you look at the church in Revelation Jesus was looking into the candlestick which if you understand the Hebrew you understand that is the testimony no light no testimony no revelation no testimony wherever the testimony is there's fresh bread See, the candlestick is on one side, the pot with the bread is on the other side, and in the presence of God, bread doesn't go stale. God always keeps it fresh. See, wherever there's insight, wherever there's revelation, and wherever there's presence, it's fresh, it's current, and it's alive. So God looks into the church, and God wants to see a reflection of himself. He wants to see the testimony. That's what God, when God is looking at your life, God is not looking at my, my sneakers or your hat. God wants to see, do I see Jesus in Emilio? Do I see Jesus in Joseph? That's what I'm looking for. God is looking at you. God is not checking you out. God is looking to see, do I see myself in him? That's it. And, and so now I want to show you this and then I'm done because this is already a hostage. I miss you guys, that's why. That's the excuse. So, so, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus. He says to them, if you don't repent, if you don't repent because you lost your first love, and when you stopped your first love, you stopped your first works. Because wherever there's first love, there's first works. Because love works. You know, people are like, oh, she doesn't cook for me. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. That's a love issue. That was free? Because wherever there's first love, there's first works. You remember when you first loved the person, talking on the phone all hours of the night, all types of dumb stuff. Oh, I love you. Well, you love me? Cook me some food. So now, this is important. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, if you don't repent, I will remove the lampstand. What in the world? Jesus said, I would rather not be represented than be misrepresented. This happened to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is 99.2% Muslim today. Wherever the lampstand is removed, the Antichrist spirit moves. So, what is the point? What am I saying? God wants to be present in our lives through the testimony. Through obedient faith that leads to the power of the Spirit releasing into our lives and through our lives what we don't have the capacity to do in our own strength. But that requires not us earning it, not us earning it, not us deserving it, but us participating with the flow of where the river goes. You are not in control of the river. You either flow with God or... Like Jesus said to, to Saul, you are kicking against the goads. You are going to hurt yourself thinking that you're serving me when in actuality you're opposing me. He was fervently in opposition to God and didn't know it. Completely sincere, totally wrong. This is important because as believers, we have to ask ourselves one question. 
This is just one question. This is not a guilt question. This is not a manipulation question. This is simply, am I participating with the will of God for my life? Because here's why. I want that for you because you'd be happy. <laughs> you'd be joyful. You'll be peaceful. You'll be easy to get along with. You will not be like, like you will have, you will not have strife in your heart or in your home because you are flowing with God and God is easy to get along with because God is not insecure. You know the hardest people to get along with? Insecure people. You can't say anything. You can't do anything. You got to like, everything's an eggshell. Everything's a trauma, a sin, a pain, something like it's like, you know, and when you get healed and you hang around healed people and a God who heals, it's so much easier. There's no fighting. You can have a house like that. I want, I want to tell you that. You'd be like, people like, DK has a house like that. Like, what's wrong with you guys? You, you guys are happy. <laughs> Why aren't you fighting more? You know, we're happy. <laughs> like, we have eternal life. We're not going to hell, you know. Anyway. All right, we're done. It was over a few minutes ago. All right, Lord, thank you for loving us, God. Wow. <laughs> we're not easy. We're not an easy bunch here. <laughs> but you love us so much. And you, have, you, you just come to us and you're like, hey, don't hurt yourself opposing me. You're a chosen vessel. God, I pray that we would live like chosen vessels. I pray that we would think like chosen vessels, speak like chosen vessels, love like chosen vessels. And I thank you that you have a specific purpose and a specific plan for each and every one of our lives. So help us to participate with that so that we can live in the joy and the blessing and the favor of that which you are doing and have provided in Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church Podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.